Uh, if you guys are down and cool, I'd love to just dive into our time this morning. So my wife and I, uh, we have a son. His name is Seth. I call him Chongle, and he is 14. He will be 15 in May. And if any of you or if uh, many of you have, have spent time with uh, my wife and I, and then you spend some separate time with Chongle, you'll begin to see ourselves through uh, much of his personality. And for instance, my, my wife is incredibly creative uh, and can be very innovative artistically. And additionally, uh, she knows how to feel very strongly, whether it's for good or bad or challenging moments. My, my wife uh, knows how to feel feel very strongly, and that's one of the things I love most about her. Uh, when it comes to myself on the other side of things, I, I tend to be the one who um, I think logically, or uh, I could say it this way, I, I tend to think systematically, and uh, at the same time, I can be very sarcastic, crass, witty, and quick in my language and personality, and if I'm honest, that usually is what gets me in trouble. Chungle, our son, embodies both personalities, which is a fascinating quality. On one hand, he is intelligent, he is rational, and he is vibrant in his creativity. But then on the other hand, he can also be emotive while at the same time being personally engaging. Regardless of how quirky and fun he is, what essentially what I'm trying to say is what he does has largely been shaped by who his parents are. That is my wife, Rebecca, and I. In other words, children imitate, adopt, and encompass who they are and what they do because of their parents' influence. Last week, we looked at the opening verses of chapter 3 in the epistle of John, and essentially what he was teaching us, what he was walking us through, was that who we are in Christ determines what we do. We spent the majority of our time uh, examining all that entails our identity as the children of God, while at the same time examining ourselves as it pertains to the condition of our hearts. But at the end of the day, we concluded that if you belong to Jesus, then you belong to the Father. That because of Jesus, you are a son or a daughter, and you have access to your heavenly Father. If sonship defines identity, then love defines our activity. This week and today, or I should say this morning, John is going to emphasize our identity. Or excuse me, let me back up. John is going to emphasize our activity. He's going to emphasize what we do. That as children of God, we act and respond in a way that has been influenced by Jesus's work for us. In our time this morning, we're going to see that John shows us that there are two types of children. He's going to show us that there are the children of God and that there are the children of the world. And in our time, John is going to walk us through family traits because family traits demonstrate our belief 
and our identity, and namely, how we love. So, before we dive into our time and move forward, here's the main idea. I try to hook you up with the main idea every Sunday, so here it is. And I'll say it twice, especially if you're taking notes. The main idea is this of our time. Love is not simply an emotion, but the fruit of the gospel in a redeemed heart. I'll say it one more time. Love is not simply an emotion, but the fruit of the gospel in a redeemed heart. That is, if you belong to Jesus, love is a response to the work of the gospel in and for you. And so what I'd like to do is read just a couple of verses of this section. Again, LC read the entire thing. I just want to read a couple of verses, and then I'll pray, and then we'll walk through our time together. So again, if you have your Bibles with you, we are in 1 John chapter 3, beginning with verse 11. And so the Apostle John writes this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Let's pray. God, as we come together this morning, as we come together this morning, Lord, I pray that our hearts are primed to receive your word. And as a result, Holy Spirit, would you be at work in our lives? Lord, there's, uh, this is a time where there is a little bit of, well, not a little bit, there is a time of uncertainty. God, there, th- this is a time where some are concerned, some are wondering what you are doing. And, uh, and in the midst of this, Lord, my, my prayer is that, one, we would be anchored in the truth of your word and in the work of your spirit. Uh, number two, that although we are walking through a season with, with some uncertainty, that we would be anchored in your work for us, that that doesn't stop. Lord, it's no coincidence that this morning we are essentially examining activity. Last week, we spent a great deal talking about our identity, the identity that you provide for us in Christ, and now we're looking at activity. And while the method might look differently for us in this season, it, doesn't, it does not mean that our activity is annulled because of the season. And so, God, in this time, I just pray that you would be at work in our hearts and in our minds. Holy Spirit, that you would continue to draw people to yourself, that those who know Jesus would come to know him better this morning, that those who don't know Jesus would come to know Jesus this morning. God, I pray for those who are struggling with the quarantine, isolation, and adjustment to their weekly schedule, to those who haven't seen their friends uh, physically this week, to some of the challenges that many are experiencing at home. Spirit, I pray that you would give them grace, that you would give them patience, but that you would also give them courage 
as they continue to walk through some of these rhythms. May they be for the glory of God and ultimately their good. We thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so let's get started. So on one hand in this section, as I mentioned, and we're going to look at these verses together. On one hand, one of the things is that John demonstrates who the children of God are, right? And, and essentially, he tells us who the children of God are by giving us this one characteristic. And through this one characteristic, I want to expand using questions on how to best I suppose, identify or uh, elaborate on this characteristic. The one characteristic that John gives us in light of who the children of God are is that they demonstrate love. That's the characteristic, that they demonstrate love. And so as a result, what I'd like to do is walk through three questions, and we're going to look at these a little differently, but I want to walk through three questions, and that is, what are the marks of love? What does love look like? And then finally, how do we love well? And so if you're taking notes, I hope you're going to, I hope you follow. I hope I don't lose you too much. So here we go. What are the marks of love? John tells us throughout the course of this section that there are three. The first one is truth. And this is seen in, in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. So the first mark of love is that the Christian knows what truth is. They know the message of the gospel. They know the truth about Jesus, that he entered into human history, that he lived in our place and without sin. Additionally, truth is marked by the work of Jesus, not just uh, the person of Jesus, but the work of Jesus, that he died in our place for our sin. And on the cross, he exchanges his righteousness for our unrighteousness. As a result, the Holy Spirit then brings the individual from spiritual death to spiritual life as a result of Jesus being resurrected from the dead. The first mark of love for for the Christian is that they are anchored in truth. The truth about the person of Jesus, the truth about the work of Jesus, and the truth about what that work means. In other words, the implications of that work for them. The second thing that John tells us, and this is in verse 14, is salvation. The second mark of love in the Christian is salvation. If you look at verse 14, he says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. What John means in in light of salvation is that the Christian has a regenerated heart that at one point they were spiritually dead and through the power of the Holy Spirit have become spiritually alive. Uh, God says it through Ezekiel this way, that he has removed our heart of stone and he has given us a heart of flesh and has landed or has planted his spirit within us. A mark of love for the Christian is that they recognize, that they know that they have been regenerated by faith and repentance. 
The third mark of love would be transformation. If you go to verse 18, John says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Transformation is the result of a new life, or I should say a new life is the result of transformation. It is the fruit of the gospel. And so John is saying, yeah, we're going to love one another in things that we say to one another. However, love isn't necessarily an emotion. It is an action. And so as a result of it being an action, it is actually the fruit of the gospel in you you're going to be able to identify who are the disciples of Jesus by how they love one another. And so transformation has taken place in the Christian. And so I want you to chew on that for a little bit. That the marks of love given to us by God through the Apostle John is that we're anchored in the truth, that we have been saved by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone, and that as a result, our life has been transformed. If we continue to move forward, we're going to go into the next question. And the next question is, okay, so those are the marks of love. Well, then what does love look like? This is the part where things start to get a little uncomfortable, if we're just honest. And so I want to give you two things. The first thing is that love is sacrificial. If you go to verse 16, this is what John says. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Love is sacrificial. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you your energy. It's going to cost you convenience. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you your comfort. But here's the thing about sacrificial love. The Christian does it willingly. The Christian does it willingly because their primary example is the work of Jesus on the cross for them. See, on the cross, Jesus laid it all out for sinners. So when the Christian demonstrates sacrificial love in whatever context you find yourself in, the Christian ought to do it willingly. The reason it gets uncomfortable in this section is because when we begin to talk about sacrificial love, you and I want to find either loopholes or excuses surrounding sacrificial love. And here, I just want to give you a couple of things that I've done or that other Christians do when it comes to sacrificial love. In other words, they will love one another because they have to. And you might even hear that. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z because I have to. Maybe it's the good thing to do. It's the right thing to do. But you could already see the motivation in their hearts. It's not because they are wanting to love one another willingly. It's because I just don't want somebody to call me out. Or I don't necessarily want someone breathing down my back. The second one is, is similar, is that, that Christians might love one another, and I'm putting this in quotations, I'm glad you guys can see me, uh, that Christians might love one another because they're 
They're told to. In other words, I'm just going to sacrificially, quote unquote, love you because, man, the Bible said so. Man, uh, I got called out on this. My pastor said so. Uh, I'm just doing it because I was told to, not because I actually willingly want to love you. Another one that is very common is that Christians will, quote, love one another sacrificially, and they'll say, man, I'm just going to bite my tongue. I could say X, Y, and Z. I could do X, Y, and Z, but you know what? I'm not. And so essentially what we say when we do that is that individual is lucky I'm biting my tongue. Essentially, when it comes to the have-tos and the told-you-tos or the biting-my-tongue type of scenarios, essentially what we are doing is, one, we're not loving one another sacrificially. Instead, what we are doing is embracing pride and arrogance and sprinkling Christianese over it so that no one would call us out and so that we would be justified in our actions. The problem with that, when we go back to the main idea and what John is telling us, is that that is not the fruit of the gospel. So love is sacrificial. John tells us that it's sacrificial over and over again. In chapter 4 of the same epistle, here's what John says. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And a lot of us like to stop there, but he continues. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. What John is saying is that God demonstrates the ultimate sacrifice by sending his son into human history as the man, Jesus Christ, who lives in our place, in our stead, dies the death that you and I deserve to die willingly so that we might live. Love is sacrificial. The second thing is that love is sanctifying. It's sanctifying because you and I need to pursue humility. I think I, I mentioned this last week, and I might butcher it, but, but C.S. Lewis defines humility as not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Once we begin to grasp that love is sacrificial and love itself is a gift of God, not only demonstrated to us on the cross, but something that he implants in us as a result of the spirit living and dwelling in us, we know that it's sanctifying. What does that mean? It means that the goal is to be more like Jesus and less like yourself. And so we pursue humility. Here's uh, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2. This is verses 3 through 7. This is what he says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Check it, he says, but emptied himself. Earlier this week, been talking with many saints, love it, 
because I've gotten to connect with many of you. And one of the ongoing things is the challenge and adjustment of being under one roof for days on end. With that, you have an opportunity to demonstrate humility, to count others' needs and interests as more significant than yourself for the purpose of emptying yourself because if you belong to Jesus, then you have the mind of Christ. And if you have the mind of Christ, the goal here is to love sacrificially so that you would point your family to Jesus and so that you would be sanctified for his glory and your good. Sanctifying experiences also mean pursuing godliness. Again, you're not trying to be self-righteous. You're trying to be godly in obedience. You're trying to be godly even when you repent. Because whatever this season looks like and however long we're going to find ourselves in this season, one of the things that you and I are simply going to have to do business is that when this is over, will we be more like Jesus on the other side? When we talk about pursuing sanctification or being sanctified as a, as a result of love, Sometimes what I see Christians do when it comes to, for instance, pursuing humility is that they will pursue an outward humility, maybe for someone else's gain, which is fine. However, inwardly, the condition of the heart is really a quiet arrogance rooted in self-righteousness. I remember growing up, uh, one of my brothers and I would get into a bunch of fights, and if I upset him, I'm not going to say his name because he, he might be watching. Um, if I upset him um, or I was really pushing for my way or I was pushing about being right about something, he would say, I'm going to remember that. And in other words, he would let me have the win. He would allow me to have the victory, but there wasn't a humility about it. It was so that he can bring it up to prove how right he is. And sometimes in sanctification, as we're pursuing like uh, sacrificial love, some of you may not necessarily articulate it that way. You might not even use the same words that my brother did, but you will put it in the back of your mind and say, I'm going to remember that. And really what we're doing when we embrace that kind of thinking, when we embrace those kinds of actions, when we embrace that kind of condition, we are saying that, man, love does not begin with the work of God for us. Love begins with what I think I want it to be. And if we're honest, love really begins with our self-righteous arrogance. So what does love look like? It is sacrificial and it is sanctifying. The third question, I actually want to pause here because I'm going, to, I'm going to change it up a little bit. The third question is, how do we love well? This is all going to be practical. And so actually what I'd like to do is save this for the end. But we're going to look at how to love, uh, I guess, personally, uh, with our family and in community. We're going to save that for the end. And what I'd like to do is move on to, to the second type of children, right? And that would be the children of the world. And what I want to do is I want to walk through some of the same questions or similar questions that I posed for uh, children of God. And so the first question would be, well, what is the mark of the world? 
Or what is the mark of the children of the world? Well, John tells us in the second half of verse 14. John says, whoever does not abide, excuse me, whoever does not love abides in death. What John is saying is that the mark of the children of the world is that they are spiritually dead. Here's what he means. You can be, or better yet, not just him, but what the Bible teaches is that you are physically alive, but spiritually dead. That your heart is at war with God because you do what is right in your eyes because the measure of truth does not begin with God, it begins with you. Now, if you're new and you're joining us, man, and you've had some rough experiences with the church and, and Christians, the, the, the ambassadors or the representatives of Christ, and you've been hurt by the church, um, and you've been sinned by the church, let, let me just pause really quick and say, I'm, I'm so sorry. I've, I've met many that have carried scars and burn marks at the hands of the church. And, and so what I'm asking you to do in this brief section is to consider what the apostle is ultimately teaching throughout this entire letter. And one of those teachings is that doctrine doesn't begin with man, it begins with God. And I think many times, if I'm honest, us Christians jack it up because we want it to begin with us. But if you open the pages of Scripture, God doesn't begin, or the pages of Scripture don't begin with man. The pages of Scripture begin with God. Man, so if you would give me just a moment of your time, this isn't me condemning you. This, this is me just teaching what Scripture has for you. And so I would pray that you would Man, wrestle with this, ask questions about God. I pray that you would go to some of your Christian friends and ask them specifically about God. And many of them will give you their experience. And, and to an extent, that's okay because, because the Christian faith is an experiential one, but even that experience is rooted in the person and work of God. And so I would, I would encourage you to ask some of those questions because at the end of the day, even me saying that your measure of truth begins with you and not with God, it could sound like or even imply that the Christian is better. But here's the truth. The Christian actually isn't better. The Christian ought to be repentant. That's it. They've, they are, not only once, but they are turning away from their sin and placing their hope and trust in Jesus. And as a result, the work of the Holy Spirit takes over and transforms them. That doesn't make them perfect. That makes them repentant. And so the second question as a result of what are the marks of the world, the second question would be, well, what does that look like? And this, this might be you. And so in verse 12, John, John tells us, he goes on to say, we should not be like Cain, who was one of the evil, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. 
Do not be surprised, brothers. So he goes back to talking to Christians. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Here's what he is saying when he says, man, what does this mark of, of uh, spiritually being spiritually dead, what does it look like? Well, it begins with opposition to God and the people of God. See, in verse 12, he's using this analogy from, from Genesis where Cain represents the world that is opposition to God and opposition to the people of God, and that he kills his brother, not because his brother was good, not because his brother like was perfect, because he recognized and became very aware that his own deeds were not good, or, or excuse me, his own deeds were unrighteous, and his brothers were righteous, and that's why he killed him. He killed him because he was right with God, not because he was good. He killed him because he was right with God. And so here, here's what I would say when it comes to the opposition to God and the people of God. When I talk to many of my non-Christian friends, often the word good pops up a lot. Do good things, try to be a good person as a result of perhaps trying to obtain a relationship with God. But here's what I would say. It isn't about being good. It is about being made new. And an individual can only be made new. An individual can only go from spiritual death to spiritual life through faith in Christ alone. That's where it starts. It's not about being good. It's about being made new. Additionally, it's not about exhaustive attempts to grasp God's attention, it's that he actually invites you to come to know him. We're going to talk more about that, but, but I want you to just kind of sit there for a little bit. The God of the universe invites you to come to know him. He draws you or is drawing you to himself. Well, we're going to come back to that in just a minute. The second thing when it comes to, well, what does this look like? What does spiritually dead look like? It's not only opposition to God and the people of God, but it also is self-indulging or self-indulgence. I could say it that way. You see, the Bible teaches that the heart is the source and character of a person. You can see this even in common expressions. Let's get to the heart of the matter. At the crux lies X, Y, and Z. The heart is the center of an individual, their personality, what they love, what they don't love, what they hate, what they, uh, man, what they do, who they are. At the heart lies the character of a person. And apart from God, not only is the heart hardened toward God and the people of God or opposed towards God and the people of God, but the heart continually breeds deceit. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 15. He says this, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. What Jesus is challenging us on, he is saying it's not what's out here that defiles a person. It's actually what is in the heart 
that defiles a person. So when we go back to the example of Cain, it wasn't just that his brother's deeds were righteous. It's that something was brooding and fermenting in the heart of Cain that led him to murder. It got to the point where he hated his brother so much that he murdered him. But it wasn't because of what his brother did to him. If you look at verse 12, his brother didn't do anything to him. It was out of the heart that it led to hate and then it led to murder. What Jesus is saying is, man, out of the heart, we're going to see the character, personality, and identity of a person. And apart from Jesus, the heart leads in deceit. Some of you, whether it's social media, books, or the other, have heard the phrase, just follow your heart. And the Bible says that's dumb. Because the, heart's gonna, the heart is deceitful. Jesus says, man, it's actually within the heart that all of these different types of evil, defiling things come out. Like when you say something that you regret, it isn't because of these external issues. They might play a role in them, but primarily it's because of what's going on in your heart, which is why the Bible uses language like you will receive a new heart as a result of trust in Jesus. The Bible is not filled with good guys versus bad guys. In fact, the Bible teaches that there is only one good guy, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus actually dies for bad guys in their place. If we want to talk about bad guys, the Bible teaches that there are two kinds of bad guys. There are the bad guys who have repented and the bad guys who have not. Once again, the Christian isn't better. They are repentant. And so, man, I'm going to encourage you again on this. But how you respond to God, not necessarily man, but how you respond to God is by faith in Christ alone and repentance that you turn away. There's an action that you turn away from your sin and you place your trust in Jesus. That's where it begins. Now, with that being said, here is my concern, church is that as we look at the children of the world, that we look at spiritually dead individuals as we, or individuals who are spiritually dead, as we look to opposition to God and the people of God, as we look at self-indulgence, my concern is that there are many who call themselves Christian but look exactly like the children of the world. Doesn't mean that you're going to bat a thousand. Doesn't mean that you're here to be perfect. In fact, when it comes to this over and over again, John uses the language of practice. In other words, this might be a lifestyle that you subscribe to, but with your mouth, you might say that you are a Christian. My concern is that many who call themselves Christian actually look and live like the world. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at what it meant or what the world meant. And it wasn't these activities. It was opposition to God and the people of God. My encouragement, my exhortation to you 
would be to repent of your sin. Trust in Jesus. Stop calling yourself a Christian if you practice a completely different lifestyle. And repent of your sin. Trust in Jesus. Which leads us to the question that I wanted to expand on, which if we go back up, it was, well, as a Christian, then how do we love well? Now, I'm going to walk through this very quickly because it's all practical application, and it might look different for you in your context. And so we're going to look at love uh, personally, we're going to look at love as a family, and we're going to look love at, in community, I guess. When it comes to personal or, or a personal application, last week we talked a great deal about identity. Here I'm just going to talk about activity. And so when it comes to applying this personally, here's what I would say. Make the gospel known. I'm talking to you, the individual, not necessarily the, the whole family, but, but the you as the individual, right? Make the gospel known. You would say, but we're quarantined, but you got Facebook, but we can't go out, but you got FaceTime and text messages. Right now, the church is being um, confronted with a unique opportunity that is not annulling or excusing some of the confusion and uncertainty and, and some of the horrible things that are happening in our country. I'm not excusing that. However, I am saying that we are given an opportunity to make the gospel known, that you can call your family on the phone to tell them about Jesus, that you can reach out to your friends via Facebook and tell them about about Jesus, that you personally can use this time to grow in your love and understanding for Jesus because you got the time. You got the time now. Earlier this week, I, I spoke with a family. I had one individual tell me, man, I love that I'm working from home right now because I have time to actually dive into scripture and prayer. I haven't had this time before. And granted, this individual and their family are having to make adjustments, and they are recognizing that they have been given a window to grow spiritually. Make the gospel known. Man, if you're at home with your family, here's what I would say. This is how love is applied, or this is what love in action looks like. I would say two things. Develop rhythms. The sooner the better and presence. Be present with your spouse. Be present with your children. Again, in the midst of everything going on, there are some pockets of unique opportunity for Christians where, where we're at home with our families. And many of us are, are struggling to adjust to the schedule, but nevertheless, we're going to have to adjust and develop some rhythms. So I would encourage you, one, develop rhythms. Two, be present with your children. Be present with one another. Particularly when it comes to your children, they're watching how you respond to everything going on. Develop rhythms and be present. That is what love in action looks like when it comes to family. Love in action when it comes to community. Some of you will be like, how? Well, let's talk about it. I'm going to give you three areas for love in action in the context of community. The first one is 
because we got time, pursue reconciliation with one another. This isn't the time, I don't think it ever has been, where the church hides. If we're going to love one another well, as John says in the last verse, not only in talk, but in word or in deed and truth, then that means we're going to pursue reconciliation with one another. Now, some of you already don't like that because you don't want to pursue reconciliation. I would say then go back up to the beginning of the sermon so that you can learn more or learn again about what it means to sacrificially love one another. Some of you need to pursue reconciliation with one another within our church family. Some of you need to pursue reconciliation with just, man, someone in our extended family. And you're going to love them sacrificially, not because you got to, not because you were told to, not because you're biting your tongue, because your example of sacrificial love is the work of Jesus for you. In fact, we deny Jesus and the work on the cross when we deny reconciliation. Because that's exactly what Jesus does for sinners. Jesus died in our place for sinners so that we would be reconciled to the Father. And I get it, man. People are already pushing back. Maybe you've already paused this. Maybe you're like, I don't want to hear more of it. I'm encouraging you. I'm exhorting you, man, as your pastor, as a friend, as just a dude talking on your TV, pursue reconciliation. When we don't, we deny Jesus and, and his work on the cross for us. The second thing would be uh, love in action when in, in the realm of, in the context of community would be checking in on one another. Man, right now, Earlier this week, as I checked in on a couple of members, many were saying, man, it's really hard to adjust to this schedule. I feel isolated, and I haven't heard from some. Man, check in with one another. So you got, you got I guess, this side of individuals who, who maybe feel isolated, but at the same time, I've been encouraged because I've been a part of Zoom calls, or I've seen groups on, on Zoom webinars just so that they can see one another and hang out with one another and have Bible study and encourage one another and crack jokes with one another. Checking in on one another is going to be creatively different right now. You got Facebook, you got FaceTime, you got Zoom, you got text message, you got so many technological resources that there shouldn't be an excuse as to why we are not checking in on one another. The next one would be uh, love in action in the context of community would be loving your neighbors. Well, what does that look like? Because we got to keep six feet apart and I don't know where they've been. And yes, man, here's what I'm, I'm not saying to not be cautious. I am not saying to not be unaware or unsafe, right? I'm asking you to be creative and intentional. For instance, one of the things that, that my wife and I were thinking about doing next week, are these things called Corona bags. I don't know any other name to give it. And so what we want to do is put like rolls of toilet paper, a couple of Topo Chicos, man, some granola bars, crayons for kids, coloring books. And uh, I don't know how I'm going to do it. All I know is that I'm going to put on gloves, knock on my neighbor's door, leave the box and say, that's for you on the other side of the street. And if you don't need any of that, well, they can give it to someone who does. 
I, I don't know. It's, it's going to look a little bit different. My wife and I try to take walks every day, this, or have tried to take walks every day this week, and we have met so many of our neighbors. Some of them, I know they need stuff. Some of them, I know they need Jesus. Man, I want to I wanna think through ways in which I can love them. Now, all that being said, right? That's love in action for the individual, for the family, for the community. One, these are all cyclical, right? Like just because you're single doesn't necessarily mean like, well, I don't have to do the community part. And just because you have a family doesn't mean you don't necessarily pursue love personally or in community. These are cyclical. We are going in and out of this. Don't stop pursuing one another. In addition to that, all of this Right? Love in action falls under the grand umbrella of discipleship. And here's, I'm about to close, so stick with me for the next minute or two, right? This season, here's what I want you to know, this season will determine if we as the church are really making disciples. The curtains have been pulled back, the buildings are closed, and the programs have stopped. And so the question is, do you really love one another as much as you say you do? Additionally, do you really love your neighbor as much as we amen? Things like this on Sunday mornings. Do you really love your neighbor as much as we amen the words of Jesus on Sunday morning? You see, our vision was never contingent upon Sunday gatherings. It was not contingent on groups. Our vision is contingent on making disciples. We're going to be here a minute. That's just kind of the truth about it. We're going to be here a minute. And I'm not asking you to do more, right? I'm not asking you to do more. But what I am saying is that you got time. As my friends would say, ponte las pilas, like you got time. And so I'm not asking you to do more. I'm asking whether or not you have been making disciples where you are. And that might just very well mean your home. That might mean through your Zoom calls or how real connected you are. I've talked to you some of, uh, some of uh, you introverts this week. You're going insane. Maybe you're really not that introverted, bro. Again, I'm not asking you to do more. I am asking you about your intentionality, where it is and where it has been. And this applies to me. I'm not, I'm not exempt from this. I'm asking whether or not you have been making disciples, not just in this season. Whether or not you have been making disciples where you are. And so I'll close with this. Christian, love one another. Love one another because it is a part of who you are. Love one another because it is a part of who you are because of what Jesus has done for you. And re repent of your sin. And fix your eyes on Jesus. Sure, ask the question, how, are, how is love in action going to look like for you? For some, of, for some of you, it's a phone call. For some of you, it's a Zoom call. For some of you, it's just going to begin with repentance this morning. In fact, that should be all of us. And if you don't know Jesus, 
Jesus invites you to come to know him so that you would receive sonship from the Father, so that you would receive a new identity, so that you would be given a new heart and his spirit, so that you would be adopted into a new family. Man, let me, let me just encourage you to man, ask the questions, wrestle with this. Place your, your trust and your hope in Jesus. Repent of your sin. Here's the beauty of the gospel, and it is that Jesus is ready, willing, and has prepared to forgive any sinner who turns to him in faith and repentance. Love is not simply an emotion. It is the fruit of the gospel in a redeemed heart. Let's pray. God, as we close our time, and man, we, we, we close our time and we walk into um, responding to your word with prayer, Lord, I would, I would ask that, I know we got things going on, but for these next couple of minutes, we would just spend them in silence where, where you meet us where you're, you're, you meet us where we are. And so that, that, that would be my prayer right now, Holy Spirit, that you would meet us where we are. That yeah, we would address our sin. Yes, we would address the condition and examine the condition of our hearts so that we would place our trust and faith in Jesus or so that we would gaze and fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus, as we close our time, man, I ask that, that our hearts would be convicted, wrecked, challenged, but humble so that our, our gaze and our eyes would be fixed on you, Jesus. God, I pray that in this, in this season, we would daily submit ourselves to you, that we would submit ourselves to you, both, uh, both your word and spirit. Again, for your glory and our good. God, would you give us a spirit of grace and patience? Would you give us a spirit of courage? Would you give us a spirit of courage and, and encouragement? God, would you draw us closer to yourself in this season through your word, through the promises of your word, and through the work of your Holy Spirit in us for your glory and our good? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.